Hello and welcome to Second Look, the show brought to you by the Outset Network, where we pause and take a second look at issues, events, ideas, people, in politics and culture and faith. You name it, we can talk about it. I'm your host, Benjamin Green, and today uh, I'm... We're, we're kicking off a new series on the show. In the, in the past few episodes since we brought the show back, I've tried really hard to set a foundation for where the show is going to go, what it's going to be like, a little bit um, building up a background on me and the way I think because, you know, that's going to be pretty important throughout this show. Um, but today I'm going to kick off a series um, about asking questions. At, at Outset and here on Second Look, we believe in having productive conversations about issues. We don't believe in yelling and screaming into the void. So this week, we're going to open the conversation about healthcare. But the problem is, if we want to have a productive conversation about healthcare, actually talk about something worthwhile, we have to completely reject the larger discourse on healthcare. We we pretty much have to ignore everything coming from our elected officials in DC and all the pundits we see on the news or follow on Twitter. Because nothing about the current healthcare conversation is actually productive. So, as a society, and even more specifically, within the political bubble, the bubble of people who, who truly care about and follow politics closely, we're, we're asking the wrong questions about healthcare. It, all the wrong questions. And so that's the series we're kicking off, is asking the wrong questions. If, if it works out right, we're going to have a couple guests on the show talking about healthcare policy and healthcare ideas. But, but this asking the wrong questions thing is a problem I think I see on lots of issues. So we're going to start with healthcare, but it's not going to stop there. We're, we're going to talk about other areas if the political discourse in which we're also asking the wrong questions. But today, we're asking the wrong questions about healthcare. And so you say, well, what questions are we asking? These are five of what I see as the most common questions. I Obviously, this isn't con conclusive. Is that the word I'm looking for? Exhaustive. That's the word I wanted. Obviously, this isn't an exhaustive list, uh, but but these five questions I see a lot, and I think they're the wrong questions. None of them are inherently bad at, at a first glance, but on closer inspection, I think they're misguided. Number one is, what policies will make more people get health insurance? Okay, well... What's so great about health insurance? Um, in my experience, everybody hates their insurance companies. Health insurance is seen as a, a sort of necessary evil. 
So I don't see why we should inherently want to preserve this type of setup that we currently have with health insurance that if we end up preserving the insurance industry, then that's fine. But our question that we're asking should not be, how do we get more people insured? Plus, I mean, it's easy to get people to, to get more people to have health insurance in 2009 or 10 <laughs> kicked into effect just a, a few years ago. They have the famous Affordable Care Act. And one of the parts of the Affordable Care Act is it essentially makes you a criminal if you don't have health insurance. It says if you don't buy health insurance, we're going to tax you. And that's a really loose definition of the word tax, but hey. Um, so that got a whole bunch of more people insured. Well, guess what? Our healthcare is still ridiculously expensive. There's still a lot of people who don't have good, reliable access to it. So question number one that's wrong is what policies will make more people get health insurance? Wrong question number two. What policies are other countries doing for healthcare? What, what have other countries put into place? Well, is there any country on earth that is exactly like the United States? Obviously the answer is no, but we're a huge country. You know, when people talk about how big the US population is, quickly the conversation turns to, you know, Asian nations with bigger populations. And, but the fact of the matter is, more than 300 million people are in this country, uh, and that's a lot of people. That's way more people than in any of the Western European nations. And also, we have a federalist system in this country. We have states, we have federal government, and then we have various local things. We have city and town and, and municipality and county government. We have a lot of layers of government. So just saying, okay, well, in Sweden, they do this. That can't necessarily be replicated here. In Canada, they do this. That can't necessarily be replicated here. But also, there is no perfect healthcare system. There is no such thing. So even if we were to say, okay, let's look at the United Kingdom and we will set up their exact system at the federal level in the United States. And even if, you know, it scaled to our population size well and performed about the same in the US that it does in the UK, not only, so there are good things about the National Health Service in the UK, but there are bad things too. So when we copy another country's system, we can't only say, well, we're bringing over all these good things. We have to acknowledge the fact that there are downsides. Why would we want to copy something imperfect is, is kind of the point I'm doing here. We, 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 we could try to improve upon the system another country has, but we don't want to just look at another country and say, hey, it's, it's working pretty well there, so we're just going to pull it straight over here and put it in place. And yeah, it has some downsides, but we're just going to ignore that. So wrong question number two is what policies are other countries putting into place? Wrong question number three is what would be best for the poor?
Now, at first glance, you might say, what on earth is wrong with that question? Well, do rich people not deserve to benefit from the healthcare system? So you might say, well, rich people can afford to pay for their healthcare and poor people can't. And, and you know, that's a very true statement. But when we're policymaking, we have to make policies that are good for everybody. We can't just target the poor. And doing so actually hurts the poor. Doing so opens up poverty traps. Poverty traps are something that I talked about uh, when I was doing this show the first time. And essentially what a poverty trap is, is the government will say, okay, we are going to provide health insurance for poor people. And so in order to get this health insurance, you have to make less than X amount of dollars a year. So I don't know the exact figures, but let's just say it's $25,000 a year. So if you make less than $25,000 a year and you're a family of three or four, then you get health insurance from the government. Well, what happens then is that that family is locked into that income. If they make, you know, $26,000 in one year, that's not enough to be able to afford to buy them health insurance on their own. They still need health insurance provided for them, but the government says, well, no, you were $1,000 over the limit, so buy. So it disincentivizes people from working and increasing their income. It keeps people locked into the system. And I'm not blaming those people at all. I, I call it a trap. They, they are trapped in poverty by the government policy that is dependent on them being in poverty. So we can't just say, well, we're going to target the poor and try to make sure they get health insurance, um, health care even. Wrong question number four is what policies would be best for the economy? So this is another one that at first glance might not seem bad, but economic growth cannot be the standard by which we make policy. Economic growth is great, but other things are more important. If we had legal slavery in this country today, we'd have a lot of economic growth. That's just a fact that when you don't have to pay laborers, then the economy can grow. Well, that's a huge moral cost that we have to acknowledge. So we can't just say, well, what would be best for the economy? Let's do that. Because anything that's best for the economy, this takes me into my second point here, which is, uh, I'm just going to say something here. And I promise you, I will make an episode about it at some point in time, but it's too big of a topic to get into today. The economy isn't real. It is not real. The economy, in a way, doesn't even exist. When we're talking about people's lives and people's work, what matters is not the stock market. What matters is not this nebulous economy, what matters is the day-to-day. -day. So, yeah, we're going to get into that at another point in time. Suffice it to say, I think that choosing healthcare policy based on the economy is misguided. Wrong question number five is what policies can we afford? 
The first blind spot with this question is it doesn't take into consideration how changes to the healthcare system might change the amount of tax revenue the government gets. So just being, you can't predict the future. So you can't just say, yes, we will be able to afford X thing. That's something a lot of people who are more in favor of government-run healthcare are like, well, if the government just took care of everybody's healthcare needs, then people would work more. And then the economy would grow because people are working more and therefore tax revenue would also increase. When we're talking about affordability, that is an important variable to consider. Even though we can't predict the future, we can, you know, try. But the, the, the key problem when talking about affordability is we, we can't afford anything. I don't know how you define afford, but I define that I can afford to buy a new lunchbox if I have enough money in my wallet or my bank account to go out and pay for that lunchbox. I don't say, well, I can afford to buy a lunchbox if I can go down and take out a loan for enough money to buy that lunchbox. So we can't truly afford anything. The federal government is $20 trillion in debt. Our unfunded liabilities, all the things we, we owe but haven't had to pay yet, that's, that's near $110 trillion. That's about $900,000 per taxpayer. And then even outside of the federal government, just as a, as a society, this includes federal government, state government, local government, business debt, and personal debt, our, our debt as a nation that we owe right now, we are about $68 trillion in debt. We can't afford anything, is the long and short of it. So... Asking what policies we can afford is the wrong question because we can't really afford anything. Whatever we do will, will not be affordable. Let me put it that way. <laughs> so you may ask, what questions should we be asking? Well, first and foremost is what policies are morally right? Are there overt front and center moral questions involved? I think there definitely are. I think that when when we're making healthcare policy, we have to take into account rights of conscience. We can't force, you know, pro-life doctors to commit abortions, that type of thing. Um, even, you know, birth control, we can't force people to pay for things that they're opposed to. And that's a, a really morally bad thing to do. Um, so, so we can't do that in our policy. And there are other moral questions as well. Do we value life? You know, that's one, been one of the key debates in this country for like, what, 50 years now? Do we value human life in our policy? That's, that's a moral question that we need to ask. So what policies are morally right? If we limit our policies to that, it's a good starting place. Second question, what policies are constitutional? Should we take action at the federal level, at the state level, at the local level? Should we not take any action at all? Maybe we should just completely get out of the healthcare business entirely, leave it to um, the free market. 
so what does the Constitution tell us? Does the federal government have purview over it? Well, in my view, that answer is no. So 10th Amendment, I think, delegates that responsibility to the states. So then each state has to answer the question for themselves. Is this something our Constitution allows us to do? Or do we have to send it down to the local? And then each city has to say, is this something our city charter allows us to do? Or do we have to leave it to the responsibility of the individual? I, asking what policies are constitutional, I think will, other than, you know, just being the right thing to do, it will get rid of a lot of well-intentioned but disastrous policies that would centralize things and make them inherently weak. Number three is what policies will be unequivocally beneficial for everybody? And I touched on this a little bit in the wrong questions. It's not enough to say, well, poor people have it's tough. Let's help them at the expense of everything else, of everyone else. First of all, that doesn't help poor people in the long term because it traps them in poverty. Second of all, we cannot... We can not say, let's help the poor at the expense of the rich. Rich people are people too. <laughs> Hard to believe that, I know. But rich people are people too. And in our policy, we have to respect the inherent dignity of every human being and treat them all equally. We, we, we should not make a policy if it's bad for some people. Just because we don't happen to like those people because of their standing in life. That's not a right thing to do. So, what question number four, that's a question we should be asking, is what policies will result in healthier people? As I talked about before, we're, we're, we're stuck in this concept of health insurance and the way the health insurance system works. Does health insurance actually even result in having healthier people? I don't know. I would hazard a guess not. But there are ways that we can, there are policies we can put in place that will make people healthier. There are policies that we can put in place that will actually reduce the burden on the healthcare system. As it stands right now, our policies do not do a good job of incentivizing people to actually be healthy. And, and we do not support healthy living in our policies. So it's no wonder our healthcare system is going bankrupt. And then question number five, that's the right question to ask, is what policies will result in a resilient or even an anti-fragile healthcare system? Now, I've been touching on the concept of anti-fragile a lot, um, and I've told you that I will make an episode on it, and I will. But to just sum it up in one sentence, anti-fragile means that when disorder happens, something bad happens, something gains strength. So, for, for instance, um, nature is anti-fragile to a point. When there are forest fires, it's actually, in the long term, good for the forest to have a bit of a burn. There are pine cones that only open and drop seed when they're heated up to a certain heat, and all sorts of things like that. So when something bad happens, something gets stronger, um, you know, kind of like the Borg, I guess. But, but the policies that will result 
in a resilient healthcare system. As it is right now, our healthcare system is fractured at best. Um, people can only go certain places and get certain treatment. And I, you know, I have known a woman who needs a treatment done on her foot and she has been waiting for her insurance. She has insurance. She's been waiting for her insurance company to pay for this for years. And they keep saying they won't. So she's had to keep waiting, even though the doctor says, boy, we really need to do this procedure on your foot. So that I guess that that wasn't really relevant, but just a, <laughs> a side editorial there. How can we have a system that's actually resilient to challenges from outside, that's resilient in the face of tragedies like hurricanes or earthquakes? And can we build a healthcare system that actually gains from those aspects of disorder? These are the questions that we should be asking. What policies are morally right? What policies are constitutional? What policies will be unequivocally beneficial for everybody? What policies will actually result in healthier people? And what policies will result in a resilient or even anti-fragile system? These are the questions I think we should be asking as we discuss healthcare. And I think if we focused on questions like these, again, this is not an exhaustive list, but if we focus on questions like these, we'll be a lot better off on our way to finding actual healthcare solutions in this country. Not having stopgap measures, not having um, just screaming fights on television, or uh, not quite literally screaming, but pretty close to screaming fights in the Senate. I, I don't know why we seem addicted to destructive patterns of political conversation but hopefully if we change the questions we're asking that will put us on the right path that's all i have for today i want to thank you so much for tuning into this episode of second look it is really an honor that you took the time to listen to me and if you would it would also be an honor if you would go ahead and rate this episode in itunes that helps the show gain a lot of exposure and not just this show but all of our shows on the outset network which you can find at outsetmagazine.com podcasts we've got a great lineup this fall i'm i've really been enjoying listening to it and i hope you have too make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode and we will see you back hopefully next week